York. I'm Brian Gumbel. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We As human beings, our instinct to recognize danger is one of our most prominent senses. However, before the early 2000s, we did not suspect harm in a simple routine such as air travel. Our armed forces were not taking part in any wars and our surveillance of plane passengers were non-existent. On September 11, 2001, members of the Islamic extremist group known as Al-Qaeda were able to board four planes and cause the deadliest day in New York history. From that day on, the United States' perspective on danger has drastically changed. The courageous and trained professionals, organizations, and volunteers that stepped in during the aftermath on that day gave the United States the chance to begin its long and painful journey of becoming whole again. My aunt Vivian Van Fleet began her long journey involving criminal justice when she applied to the Finney County Sheriff's Department in the mid-1970s. I think it was the um, economic status of my family and um, my ability to communicate with individuals. I mean, being able to talk to anybody. I think I could talk to a rock if it could open its mouth. <laughs> uh, and, and the ability to just relate to everybody. I mean, I just, I just had that ability coming from, from uh, nowhere, striving to get somewhere. I think I was just open to every individual, no matter what their background was. And so I think it was my ability to communicate and knowing that that communication opened doors. Um, it allowed me to build confidential informants they would tell me things that they wouldn't tell other officers. And that just continued to grow. And it began with civil process, because I used to serve civil process papers with the sheriff's department. And people began to like me, and then they would call the office, and they only wanted to talk to me. So because they heard something about a crime that happened, and so they began to talk to me. And so the other officers was like, how do you get all this information? I talk a lot. <laughs> My Aunt Vivian, for as long as I have known her, has always been on her feet in fear of wasting time. I have never met a single person whom she could not connect with. This is why her answer to my question was not a surprise to me at all. She perceives people in their greatest light. After being in her line of work and seeing the kind of situations people have led themselves to, Vivian has the ability to judge them not by what they have done or what they may have done, but what they have the potential to do. This is a gift that very few people possess, and my Aunt Vivian, a former detective and victim witness program manager, is using her unique skills for the greater good. Overall, the requirements for joining law enforcement are completion of a police academy training program, along with some on-the-job training. Detectives must also meet physical standards, be 21 years of age, and pass a background check. Education requirements during the mid-70s in the state of Kansas were a high school diploma or a GED. In Vivian's case, she had just graduated from high school when she decided to pursue her career in criminal justice. Today, the educational requirements for becoming a police detective vary from state to state. Some police departments require you to hold only a high school diploma or GED, 
while others require you to complete some college courses or earn a college degree. Criminal cases are assigned on a rotating basis, and you pursue a case until an arrest is made or if the case is dropped. Part of successfully solving a case involves keeping accurate and detailed records that can be upheld in a court of law. In regard to training, Vivian went through the police academy training program and was frequently tested on her physical abilities. As Vivian's career progressed, she developed investigative skills that were best learned while on the job. However, one aspect that has been included in the policeman's requirements is a psychological assessment. Police detective work, as well as many other public servant positions, may involve activities that could potentially be life-threatening, both physically and mentally. Vivian has always been known to be mentally tough, especially compared to the average officer, let alone the average person. Her upbeat attitude toward any conflict and her problem-solving skills on and off the force were the very skills that kept her sane. However, many of the requirements today had long before big goals that Vivian had set for herself while mapping out her own career plan in law enforcement. This was placed in order to test the emotional strength of a person who was considering joining the police academy. So this assessment was a way of advancing the recruits even further than before. The education as well as the training that is required today is more demanding compared to those in the 70s because of the higher education requirements as well as developing a resilience to dramatic events in the overall field. Vivian's experience as a detective were some of the very first stepping stones that led her to her connection with the 9-11 Victims Unit. Vivian's husband, Chris Van Vliet, began his career in the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, which is what led Vivian Van Vliet to the transition of being a detective to a victim witness manager. Being, working for the United States Attorney's Office was not even a thought, um, because my decision to leave with the Sheriff's Department was merely to continue my education. And working for the Sheriff's Department, while I had I loved that job. I also was a mother and I had three kids. <laughs> a 24-hour daycare facility in the middle of the night. And then I would be gone, you know, hours working on, working on a case to where my husband would have to pick it up. And he too was in law enforcement. So our shift change and trying to raise three kids just wasn't conducive to a family lifestyle. So my decision was to quit and return to college and get a college education. I had hoped to go on to law school. So not coming from any money in my background from my family, I knew that I had to pursue college of something that I could afford or something that a scholarship would provide. By that time, had only worked for the Overland Park Police Department for 11 months before the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms called him and he was hired and it was stationed in Des Moines. When my degree was finished, I started job hunting and Chris was working on an arson case at the federal courthouse. So while I was at the federal courthouse, the court service officers that sit in the courtroom uh, and provide security for the judges, for the judiciary branch of the government, um, were sitting in there. And so 
after one of the trial dates, I walked up to one of the guys and says, hey, what does it take to do what you do? And he said, well, ma'am, you have to be a certified law enforcement officer. And, you know, again, this is in, you know, 89, 90. <clears throat> so, you know, the mentality of men is, well, ma'am, you have to be a certified law enforcement officer. So um, I said, well, do you have to be certified in Iowa or Kansas? And he goes, ma'am, you have to be a certified law enforcement officer. I said, well, I am a certified law enforcement officer, so where do I get an application? So I started transporting prisoners from the U.S. Marshal Service. Did that for a year before I was actually hired with the U.S. Attorney's Office. But that, that got my foot into the door with the U.S. Attorney's Office by transporting prisoners from the U.S. Marshal Service. And then when that position came open, I, I, was, I applied and ultimately was hired as a assistant law enforcement coordinator and victim witness. During this time in her life, Vivian was juggling her education as well as the bills that came along with that education, raising a family and her career. Being the first woman to join the law enforcement in Garden City, Kansas in the mid-70s, Vivian was used to handling struggles that came along with the job. According to Eisenberg, in 1972, Congress passed an amendment to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, prohibiting state and local agencies from job discrimination based on gender. Police departments were required to hire women for jobs on an equal basis with men. It was times like these where Vivian's natural communication skills were essential and allowed her to advance in her career. These skills allowed Vivian to interview women and children after only being in the early stages of her law enforcement career because she was automatically trusted more than the average officer. These skills were what led her to her next job, a U.S. Marshal Officer. At this point in Vivian's career, she had a tremendous amount of experience in law enforcement. U.S. Marshals are involved in the arrest of fugitives from federal charges and also assist other agencies in apprehending dangerous fugitives. Although she was underestimated at times during her transition to joining the U.S. Marshal's office, she quickly learned the ropes and was trusted by federal judges. This opportunity exposed Vivian to possible connections in federal law programs. This was the bridge that led Vivian to become the victim witness manager, which allowed her to use her natural abilities with connecting with those who have suffered. Throughout all the changes in Vivian Van Vliet's career in criminal justice, her experiences in each field allowed her to be better prepared for even the worst of tragedies. September 11, 2001, one of the longest and most tragic days in the history of the United States, led Vivian Van Vliet to be requested by the governor's office in the state of Iowa for assistance. Even though Vivian, at this point in her career, was highly qualified in many aspects, she too fell silent when she first encountered the tragedy of the attacks. When I first saw the towers falling, I'd only seen pictures. So my reaction was in awe of New York to begin with. But seeing the tower, seeing from the distance, and listening to the victims as they came into the Family Assistance Center, because I heard so many stories before I ever really saw, you know, but seeing it was 
it was in huge disbelief because of the pit, the, you know, concrete and glass and all kinds of stuff just in the pit area. And, you know, just the sickness, you know, I mean, the tears, tears swelling up in your eyes and you're just like, how could anybody do this to innocent people? You know, nobody had done anything to those people. They just didn't like America and they wanted to retaliate but nobody knows why and of course the smell was something that I'll never forget is the smell of the burning flesh and bottle body and the rubbish and just just the whole trashy the trashy smell like you know garbage but you knew it was lives that was in there that was smoldering that they were just all crushed up into there. But it, it was a, a sense of anguish mixed with honor because you're here to help. And I, if there were so many people there to help. So many people. So, yeah, my first response was just indescribable. This was a scene that Vivian, as well as others who volunteered their time in helping all those who suffered from the attacks, witness as they arrived in New York. Thousands of families lost those they love most in a single instance. At the World Trade Center site in Lower Manhattan, 2,753 people were killed when hijacked American Airlines Flight 11 and United Airlines Flight 175 were intentionally crashed into the North and South Towers, or as a result of the crashes. Vivian's skills of communication, professional training in law enforcement, and psychological strength were put to test during the next few weeks in New York. Vivian took part in helping these victims and took honor in doing so. The process was to check in. They were signed. We had a checklist, you know, that we would mark off to make absolutely certain that we didn't miss any station that was needed so that, because we served as the brains for the victims, so we wanted to make sure that everything, their needs were met. And so to assure to do that, you really needed a checklist because you would get caught up in their stories or you would get caught up in their own pain sometimes that you couldn't rely on just your own memory. You just couldn't. So a checklist was a necessity. And they registered and so that way they knew if they came back, if they didn't complete the process the first time they could come back and someone else could pick up where you had left off. You know, there were there were lots of rules, um, and the rules primarily were that that kind of came with the training that you first got from the National Organization for Victim Assistance, as well as all of your training when you're dealing with, you know, classified, unclassified, and secret information. While working with the grieving families, Vivian guided them through this process for two weeks. She often arrived earlier than what was asked of her. It left hours after the building closed almost every night. Sleeping was out of the question for most of the people working during this time. However, throughout all this confusion, Vivian touched the lives of many families, and one in particular changed Vivian's life from that point on. There was a father of a young man who died in the towers. His son's name was Brian Frederick Goldberg. His dad had been to the assistance center many times. The Attorney General's office refused to give his father an urn and an American flag because they had given the urn and flag to Brian's wife of six months. 
David's challenge was to convince the Attorney General's office from New Jersey to give Brian's father an urn and flag. Brian's father raised his son of 26 years and needed something to hold on as a memory. The Jewish man who I, you know, fought hard to get him a flag and an urn. And I think that family impacted me the most just because as a mom, I could relate to having spent so many years with your son and to have his the memorialization of your son go to a wife of six months. That family, I think I spent so much time with him that day arguing the point that it was time for him and his wife to have, you know, that urn and flag. So, you know, I, be, I, I developed a personal relationship with him, not because I chose to, because they chose to. And they wanted my phone number and kept, kept in contact with me. I still get Christmas cards from him um, and his wife there. I, I get separate cards because they are no longer together. That's a very, that's a very difficult thing to go through the death of a child. And sometimes that brings families together and sometimes it separates them because they don't grieve in the same way. And his daughter had three children, uh, triplets actually, three girls and triplets, and they named one of them Brianna after Brian, which was the son who died. And his name was Brian uh, Frederick Goldberg. And when my daughter went insane in New York at um, Carnegie Hall, they wanted to come and listen. And so, you know, we met them for lunch. So my whole family was able to meet, you know, Jerry and his wife, Marilyn. So the, that, that family probably impacted me the most. From beginning her career as a police officer to a detective, a U.S. Marshal officer, and then finally to a victim witness program manager, Vivian had decades of experience and took part in working with those affected by 9-11. All these events required skills that she learned and perfected along her journey. However, Vivian's unique talents with working with those who have gone through unspeakable scenes cannot be taught. It was the combination of her ambition, intelligence, diligence, and God-given abilities that led her to a lifelong career where she was truly needed. Even today, though retired, Vivian continues to help those around her without question. Yes, I received... You know, in 1983 and in 1985, I was honored as the outstanding young public protector. And there's, you know, they print a book of people across the United States. And my name's listed in 1983 and again in 1985. I've got them in boxes downstairs in the basement anyway. My walls aren't big enough. <laughs> so, you know, but letters, letters of, you know, people in cases and, you know, so I had a lot of accolades that were not you know you don't get don't always get trophies and you don't get those but the most the best accolade is when you've really made a difference in the lives of someone and that's you know I've gotten lots of letters and lots of um, thank you notes and letters to my boss and those are those are more important to me than getting a handshake or my name in the news
Throughout Vivian's lifelong career in both law enforcement and the offices of the United States Attorney, she has proven herself through the grit of her hard work that she put into every case and project. Her service to the United States during the ramifications of the attacks, like thousands of other citizens, was performed for the sole purpose of offering all she could to those who suffered the most. With each person Vivian encountered, she greatly honored the family she came across while they were experiencing one of the most devastating moments in their lives, and in return, she was beloved by each person she impacted.